Well, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open or your Bible app still at Acts chapter 28. And if it's of help to you, there's an outline on the back of the news, so you can see some key points there, and that's in English, Korean, Dinka, and simplified Chinese. But right now, let's pray and let's ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much that as the good news of the crucified and risen King Jesus goes out to the ends of the earth, that it does so in the power of your Spirit, and that in your kindness you have enjoined us that we too have a role to play in that continuing story. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we arrive at the end of our series in Acts, with Paul finally arriving in Rome, it's a bit of a shock to discover that it's all rather anticlimactic. Since his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul has been here, there, and everywhere. He's been to Jerusalem, Antioch, Cyprus, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Ephesus, back to Jerusalem, and then on to Rome. He has faced trial, preached and taught about Jesus, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, prayed and gave thanks for miraculous healing, rejoiced as many have come to believe, enjoyed the fellowship of believers, dispatched others to proclaim the good news, suffered persecution, and even witnessed someone die when they fell out the window, only moments later to be raised to life. And as he makes this final trek from Jerusalem to Rome, locked up, shipwrecked, and bitten by a snake, he arrives in Rome only to discover that the authorities, the leaders, not only haven't received a charge against him, but they actually haven't even really heard about him. In fact, after two years in Rome, at the very end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, Paul still hasn't fronted Caesar. By the end of Acts, Luke doesn't even really tell us what happened to Paul. He doesn't tell us because the spotlight isn't ultimately on him. The spotlight is on the gospel, on the good news that Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord and of that good news going out to the very ends of the earth. That's the story of Acts. But not only that that every person who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, there is no exception, that every person who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus is caught up in the force and the movement of the gospel going out too. So if you're a Christian, you are part of the story of the gospel continuing to go out. So imagine not just Acts chapter 29 or 30, but Acts chapter 2.1345, etc., billion, that might be about you and of the gospel going out through your front lines. So down through history, continuing through us, the story of Acts rolls on. As the good news that Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord, continues to go out. We are caught up in that gospel witness. 
Gospel witness, which we see in Acts chapter 28, is full of surprising encounters, mixed responses, and expansive mission. So first, gospel witness is full of surprising encounters. That's what we should expect. So let's have a look at chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found, we found out that the island was called Malta. The island showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. As he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. So 276 people, Paul, his companions, other prisoners and the crew, they have survived the storm, remember, over two weeks long on the uh, ship. They have been shipwrecked on the island of Malta. They've now emerged from the ocean. They're soaked through, they're in the rain, likely confused, cold, wet and hungry. It doesn't seem like things really could be much worse. Yet, as they safely arrive on the shore, something incredible occurs. The locals show them an unusual kindness. Note how Luke describes it, an unusual kindness. That's evidence, of course, by their action. They build them afar, they welcome them ashore. With even the, the chief officials, so just a little bit later on, welcoming them into his home and showing them hospitality. It's unusual because no one expected this. Traditionally, the people of Malta were assumed to be really hostile to visitors. Romans and Greeks actually described them in really derogatory ways, with a derogatory term of barbarians. So whether or not this prejudice was justified or not, the welcoming response is a really surprising encounter. Perhaps there's been times where you've really been caught off guard by kindness received from an unexpected source. Things are looking up. Yet when Paul emerges from his stick-collecting expedition with a poisonous snake latched onto his hand, you really couldn't make this stuff up, could you? Um, the locals think, uh-oh, not only is it pretty unlucky to survive a shipwreck only to be bitten by a snake when you're collecting sticks, but this guy must be actually evil, and this must be an act of judgment, some sort of cosmic justice by one of the goddesses. That's what they're thinking. Can you imagine? It would be so natural at this point, in the face of yet another detour and another problem, for Paul, and in fact many of his companions, his believing companions who are with him, to be really wondering, what is God doing? To wonder, are we really going to make it to Rome? It doesn't seem like it. And if so, if we are going to get there, is this three-month pit stop really necessary? Perhaps there's been a time in your life, or perhaps that time is right now, in which not only are things hard, but when you look around and see what's happening and the experience of what's happening, 
you think this just seems all wasted. You know, we don't even know if Paul shared the gospel on Malta or if people came to faith. Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us that detail. When Paul neither swells up nor drops dead, Luke tells us, verse 6, that the people change their mind. They shift from thinking he's evil to claiming he's a god. Despite the potential for frustration, Luke just tells us that the way that Paul and the companions respond is just by getting on with ministering to those who are in need before them. The sick came and were cured. The locals honoured them in many ways and furnished them with supplies when they were ready to sail. We're not told if the gospel was proclaimed with words or even if any of those locals came to believe. We can assume that. It, it seems impossible to think that that didn't happen, but we're just not told. And that must be because Luke wants us to see something else. Perhaps that despite Malta not being on their agenda, it must have been on God's agenda. I think so often as we seek to show and share the good news of Jesus, it just doesn't look like what we might imagine. It just doesn't line up with what even our good plans might be. But the extraordinary news is that not only is God the ultimate evangelist, he's the one behind it all, but when we just seek, simply seek to be faithful in the time and place in which we find ourselves where God has placed us, people might be more receptive than we think and God can use it in bigger ways than we dare to imagine. I think those two things are so important for us to remember. People might be more receptive than we think, and God can use it in bigger ways than we dare to imagine. So often, what can hold us back from sharing something of our faith or inviting people along to hear, or even giving up, abandoning our role in proclamation of the gospel going out is simply because we can be too apprehensive of the hostility, the hypothetical hospitality we might encounter, or a lack of vision of how God might be at work. Time and time again, as we witness people coming to faith, I'm amazed, I'm totally astounded of just how receptive people are. But people are often far more receptive than what we might imagine. I'm also equally astounded and amazed that the route for them coming to faith is almost always more intricate and uh, more unexpected than whatever we could plan. In a recent survey in Australia conducted by NCLS, the National Church Life Survey, they found that 42% of Australians, so this is recent, right now, 42% of Australians would come along to an Easter service if only a friend or a family member invited them. 42%. In a recent Alpha that we ran here at St Bards, it was incredible that someone went through a really radical transformation as they put their trust in Jesus and welcomed Jesus into the heart and into the life, really radically reorientating their life. 
they only came because someone else who was invited actually invited them along to come. It's what I sometimes call the, the random fruit of faithfulness. You know, Christians just faithfully getting on with sharing the good news wherever they are, not just when they think it will be well-received or when they think that it will be fruitful, but just doing it as a way of life, trusting that God is powerfully at work, sending the good news out and inwardly preparing those whom will receive it. Of course, there's nothing random about it because God is the one at work. Too often, we can want to see how all the dots are going to be joined when we actually just don't need to. In fact, I think it's often a kindness of God that we don't. So imagine that if instead of God saying to Paul, you will testify about me in Rome, so imagine that instead of saying that to Paul, God said, I know Rome is only a couple of weeks' journey away, but I've got something really special for you, Paul, in store, okay? Uh, instead, you're going to be subject to a murderous plot, transferred to Caesarea, imprisoned for two years, in peril on a ship, shipwrecked at Malta for three months. Oh, you're going to be bitten by a snake as well. You're going to be confused with being a god. You'll arrive in Rome, but they're not going to know who you are. You'll stay there for two years, live under guard, and eventually you'll be killed by the Romans. Now, I wonder, would you have gone if that's what you had heard? I wonder what faithful steps that we have followed in our lives that we would have faltered on or been reluctant to take if we knew all the details. You know, what a kindness of God that he spares Paul the details. What a kindness of God that he often spares us the details. Sometimes not knowing the details makes it easier to be faithful to God's leading. Gospel witness is full of surprising encounters. We can expect that. Second, gospel witness is full of mixed responses. So verse 21. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. We're not sure who you are, but let's have a listen anyway. I love how Tom Wright actually sums up this situation. He says they appear both ill-informed and unconcerned. Uh, Paul's already given the backstory as to why he's there. And at the heart of it is the claim that Jesus is the one who fulfills every hope, not just for the Jewish people, but actually for all of humanity. Jesus is the one. So note that as Paul gets the opportunity to explain himself, Luke tells us, quite extraordinarily, that large numbers met to hear Paul. Can you imagine being the guard who's chained to his side? Large numbers met to hear Paul. And so we read in verse 23 of chapter 28. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses, and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So note, not only is Paul showing them through the law of Moses and the prophets that Christianity is legitimate. It's both in continuity 
and fulfillment of Judaism, but his goal is that they might come to a point of decision of conviction about Jesus. Luke is being extremely intentional with his language. He says Paul witnessed, explained, sought to persuade them about Jesus. So Paul's not merely hoping for some sort of conquest of of reason for them to concede, but his hope is for the transformation of the entire person by coming under the lordship of Jesus. Transformed lives and eternity is the goal of the good news going out. In fact, the transformation of all of creation. Verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So note, not only is Paul showing through the law of Moses and the prophets that, that Christianity uh, is legitimate, uh, sorry, some were convinced, and others would not believe. So convinced here doesn't just mean that they thought it was true. Oh, you got me, Paul. You won some sort of intellectual arm wrestle. But on hearing the news explained that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has promised, uh, that people would be deeply convicted so that the truth they have come to see would reach the depth of their hearts and result in the submission of their will to God. There's a shift from not just knowing about Jesus, but to knowing Jesus as their Lord. Similarly, when Luke says that others would not believe, it doesn't simply mean that some just couldn't see how this was true, but this is a refusal to submit to the truth. It's a rejection of the truth. When Paul goes on to quote those words from the prophet Isaiah, so from Isaiah chapter 6, words actually that Jesus himself quoted in response to the rejection of belief, it serves as both a warning and a judgment. It's a warning to those who hear now, so to us, and a judgment to those to whom Paul spoke. A judgment that a determined, persistent, and consistent unwillingness to believe, even in the face of truth, can harden the heart so much that you can venture so far down that road that they cut themselves off from receiving the good news. And the big picture so far, they've rejected Jesus in Jerusalem. They've rejected Jesus across the Mediterranean. And now they've rejected Jesus in Rome. And so in response to that rejection, Paul is announcing God's judgment. They've rejected Jesus and closed the door on God's love. Now, I want to be really clear. If you're here 
or if you're listening later to this talk and you think, wow, I actually still don't know what I think about Jesus or his claims. I'm still considering that. I'm still weighing all of that up. This is not saying that you've closed a door on him, that you have already rejected that good news. Keep considering the claims of Jesus. But also know that there is a point when you must come to a decision of welcoming the Lord Jesus into your heart. The question is not just simply, who do you say that Jesus is, but what is the condition of your heart? If you keep pushing Jesus away, our hearts are likely to become increasingly hardened towards him. Perhaps you've experienced that with a a family member or a friend, that over time, animosity or even a a passive type of, of, of coldness or indifference that goes unaddressed, well, the natural trajectory of that isn't that it just sort of results in the heart being warmed up over time. That's not the direction it goes. But actually the opposite, that the heart becomes increasingly hard even to the point of rejection of the other. Don't let that be the case for you and Jesus. He loves you. He's welcoming you. He longs for you to accept his grace. And for those who face that response when sharing the good news, as discouraging as that can be, don't be dissuaded from the mission we share. Note that even in the face of this, along with all the rejection, that, that of rejection of Jesus that Paul has witnessed, he just got on with pointing to Jesus wherever God had placed him. He, he wrote letters while in prison, and I'm sure he never considered himself simply as a prisoner, but a prisoner for the Lord. Even when he could have been tempted to think that this was a waste of time, a detour. Finally, Gospel witness is full of expansive mission. So verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. After everything that has happened, at least to me, this seems like quite a sudden ending, a really quick ending, after all the talk about getting to Caesar, we actually don't even know if that happened. We're not told here. Now, people have posited all sorts of reasons for this sudden ending. Some have said, well, perhaps Luke actually intended to write volume three. So Luke, Acts, and whatever comes next, volume three. And so he wrote this just before Paul appeared to Caesar. Others have said, well, perhaps Luke actually... Uh, finishes so suddenly because Paul never got to go to trial or he was acquitted or he was executed even sooner than what we think. Some have even suggested that actually perhaps Luke finishes so suddenly because he was running out of space on his scroll, so he had to really squeeze in a quick ending or something something like that. Uh, We don't really know. Uh, We are reasonably confident that, that Paul was actually released and continued on mission and Uh, later was actually re-arrested and executed by the Romans. But in reality, we just don't know for sure. But regardless of what happens when, 
I think the ultimate reason why Luke doesn't tell us, other than likely because he wrote before it all unfolded, is because none of this is really about Paul. It's about the gospel. That the gospel is for everyone. That the gospel will not be stopped. And the gospel continues to go out through God's people in the power of his spirit. That's Acts chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, chapter 32, chapter 33, and so on. We are living in that unfinished story. So I want you to imagine for a moment of, of just how remarkably the Lord has been at work. You know, from one generation to the next, between Acts 28 and us today. Just imagine how, how incredibly the Lord has been at work through his people in the power of his spirit from one generation to the next, from then that we might be in a point that we can both know the good news and have received it in our hearts. And not only that, that story keeps going through us. That we too are sent by Jesus, for Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit. Remember where Acts started with Jesus' commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously, we're not the apostles, but we too share in that mission. Rome might have been the last stop in the itinerary of Acts, but it is not the full stop in the living out of Jesus' commission. Paul didn't even think that Rome was the last stop. He longed to go to Spain. It is an expansive mission, and it involves every part and every place of our lives. So wherever we live and learn, shop and serve, work and play. Wherever we go, whenever that is, all the times and places we inhabit, even when we think they are detours, even when we think there will be no fruit. Personally, as I encounter people, I've been trying to think about two things. One, that this person needs to know God's grace and love. And two, assuming that God is already at work. It's two simple things to assume. Yes, there will be surprising encounters along the way. Yes, there will be mixed responses to that news. But there is no limit to just how expansive our mission is, except for the limit that we place upon it. Wherever we live and learn, shop and serve, work and play. These are the front lines that God has put us in order that we would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. That, of course, is why our mission here at St. Bart's is making and maturing disciples of Jesus. It's not a really innovative mission. You know, I'd be really alarmed if someone said, uh, you know, St. Bart's, you have a really innovative mission. That would be concerning that we just come up all by ourselves. No, no, our, our mission stands in line and in continuation 
over 2,000 years of the gospel going out through God's people in the power of his spirit. And we do so until the Lord Jesus returns. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you so much for the tremendous good news that we have and that we can know in the Lord Jesus. Lord, please help us to really recognise all the places in which you have put us to serve you, where we live and learn, we shop and serve, work and play. Lord, please help us to recognise each and every place and time as a gospel opportunity that we might embrace your commission to us to be witnesses for you to the ends of the earth. Lord, we are full of deep gratitude for each and every person who has faithfully shared the good news and showed the good news right back from Acts chapter 28. We thank you that it's by your grace at work through your people and the power of your spirit that we too have been able to hear and receive the good news of Jesus. Lord, today, particularly pray for anyone who has not yet come to that point of decision. Lord, would you please be at work in their hearts. Lord, please soften their hearts that they might see so clearly who you are, what you've done, all that you have promised to do, and that might, they might rest putting their trust in the Lord Jesus as their saviour. Lord, we particularly pray in the lead up to Easter that you might help us to invite people along and how we praise you for how surprising encounters can be. That you would help us not to be discouraged by mixed responses and embrace the expansiveness of the mission you have set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.